This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Good morning. All right, I'm Pastor Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Legacy United Methodist Church. I want to welcome you to the service this morning. And I was talking with Don this morning about uh, the transition and about uh, our positions. And Don had said that his position as low man on a totem pole, they always gave him the hard one in the series. And I, and I said, well, since I'm taking the low man position, I get the hard one this time. And so I'm excited to start this series about Ruth. We're going to talk about the hope that God gives us through Ruth. But in order to understand the hope uh, in the story of Ruth, we need, to, we need to understand the tragedy. We need to understand the story behind what happened to Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And, and that's where we're going to start. And so that, that's what I get to do. Uh, and the tragedy that we're going to deal with has to do with death. Death and grieving. Death and grieving is a thing that touches every human being. We have this in common. Uh, we grieve all kinds of things, and it starts right away. Right? We're, we're, we're born, and we form inside the mother's womb, and it's nice and cozy in the jacuzzi in there, and it's really nice. And then, we, and then we are outside the womb, and we're in a cold room, and no clothes on, and it's cold. And that's our first shock and we're grieving. We'd rather be back where we were. And our life from that point forward is full of grief. Things change. Things come to an end. Uh, favorite characters in TV shows die for no reason whatsoever. And we grieve those things. But also the people close to us sometimes die and leave us. Now, why are we talking about grief? Why are we starting here and focusing on hope? It is because a very wise person by the name of Mr. Rogers said this. Anything that's human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, it become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we're not alone. That first line, anything that's human is manageable, uh, mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. Every single human faces grief. Every single human is touched by death in some way, and yet it is the one subject we rarely talk about. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about grief. But it is human. Because it's human, it is mentionable. And because it's mentionable, it's manageable. So let's spend some time talking about grief and death. In order to do that, I'm going to tell you the story of four women. The first one I'd like to... Talk, uh, tell a story about. Her name is Marcia Stifel. And Marcia Stifel uh, started out early in life uh, with uh, her high school sweetheart. She married him, and they had two children together. But when right after the second boy, she had two boys, after the second boy was born, her husband divorced her. And she was, uh, found herself as a single mother with two boys, one a newborn and one a two-year-old. This did not do well for her self-image. 
Marcia did not look upon herself very favorably because her love left her for another woman. And so through life, she tried really hard. She worked as many jobs as she could to provide for those two boys. Uh, and she, she worked. She was, they were in poverty. Uh, they were, uh, lived off of food stamps. They were very poor. And because of her self-worth being very low and what was going on in her life, she decided that she would just marry the first man that came along that seemed interested. And so John came along. John... Uh, John was a widow himself. His wife had, had anorexia and, gave, and died during childbirth. Both her and the child died in childbirth. And he was an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. These two got married. And it started a long marriage full of misery for Marcia and for the two boys. John was not a nice person. He verbally abused Marcia, and he verbally abused the two boys, especially the oldest son, whom he was jealous of because of the relationship that Marcia and the oldest boy had. He was particularly tough on him. This went on for years. Marcia would get up. She wasn't sure she, it would be safe in the house today, or even if John would talk to her. There were long periods, months sometimes, where they didn't even talk. Until one day, the phone call came. John had a grand mal seizure and was rushed to the hospital. Marcia called her oldest son who lived in town. The youngest son had moved away, and they went to the hospital together, and they sat in the emergency room while all the tests were done on John, and the doctor came in and gave him the news. John has a very rare form of brain cancer called glioblastoma multiforme. Very rare. Very few people get it. But he has it, and he has about six months to live, and there is no cure. It is terminal. Now, Marcia was poor with the boys, but when she married John, they crept up a little bit to the lower uh, middle-class income area, which put them in, in the perfect spot, the perfect spot to not be able to afford help in home care, but making too much to qualify for state help. And so, Marcia and the oldest son took care of John. Uh, when John would fall in the middle of the night, Marcia would call her oldest son, and the oldest son would come over, pick him up, and they would take him to the emergency room. And this went on until John passed. He almost made it six months. Right before John passed, two weeks to the day, actually, Marcia's mother died of a massive stroke. When John had passed and her mother was gone, Marcia had five years, five years of life. She had her confidence back. She didn't have somebody berating her. Her kids were gone and she was living on her own and loving life. She met a man who had also who had lost his wife around the same time. They met in grief group and they grew together in relationship. And for that five years, things were great. But somewhere around that five-year mark, Marcia got into her vehicle, and she backed out of the garage, and she hit the fence. She couldn't figure out why. She could see the fence. It didn't make any sense. So she put the car back, and she backed up again, and she hit the fence. And, and she couldn't figure out what was going on. 
but she became scared. She didn't want to really know what was going on, so she didn't call her oldest son. She did call her friend, and her friend helped her until the point where Marsha's arm, right arm was unusable, and her right leg wouldn't work. Marsha had her friend call the oldest son, and the oldest son came over and surveyed what was going on and took her straight to the emergency room. While uh, Marcia was in the bed, Corey and the friend were in the room, and the doctor came in after all the tests and said, Marcia, you have an extremely rare brain cancer called glioblastoma multiforme. The oldest son told the doctor her husband died of this five years ago. And so the shock transferred from Marcia, the son, to the friend, to the doctor, because that never happens. Two people in the same family having the same exact extremely rare cancer, and they're not genetically related. That's rare. This did open up opportunities, though. Even though Marcia had the same diagnosis, six months to live, because of the rare, uh, because both of them had the cancer, the, they started doing testing, genetic testing on her and on the cancer to see if they could figure it out. So they did all kinds of testing. She did special treatments that no one else got. And this, this focus on her actually, actually helped her become a local celebrity. Time Magazine did an article on her about comparing her Marsha's treatment to someone in the sticks, that this is Time Magazine, not me, okay, uh, the sticks in North Dakota, to someone in New York. Marsha is the one in red on the right. But the treatments that she did killed, continually killed her body. There was one treatment that she had taken, and if she were to blow her nose at a Kleenex, that Kleenex was toxic. You could only touch that Kleenex is if you're wearing uh, a hazmat suit. She became toxic. And Marcia, in the beginning of the time, she lived at her home, and then she lived in uh, assisted living, and then she finally made it to the nursing home. In the six months that she was given, she lived three years. Her oldest son would visit her occasionally, or now and then in the house. When she was in assisted living, the oldest son would visit uh, several times a week, but when she was in the nursing home, her oldest son visited every day. And when she was getting close to the end, the oldest son was sitting on the bed, and she looked at her oldest son, and she said, my dying wish is that you and your brother reconnect. When my mom said that to me, I knew it was close to the end. I knew that it wouldn't be long before the cancer took her. And I heard her request. Not long after that, mom was no longer able to respond. And finally she died. On the morning they called us that she had passed, we went into her room. 
I remember feeling not grief, but relief that this woman that I had cared for for three years had ultimate healing. I'd like to tell you now the story of three women. And these women are found in the book of Ruth. Don't worry, I'll come back to that story. These three women are in the book of Ruth at the very beginning. And I would like to read to you the first five verses of chapter one of the book of Ruth. Uh, During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem to Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of that man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons are up on the screen. (laughs) I'm not going to say them. They They were that word there from Bethlehem in Judea. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then she only was left along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. They lived there for about ten years. But both the sons also died. Only the woman was left without her two children, without her husband. Here's what you need to know about this story. You need to understand the tragedy of Ruth, and it goes deeper than these words because we live in a totally different culture than Ruth and Naomi and Orpah. You see, when Naomi's husband died, there was Jewish tradition that her two sons take care of her because in that culture, during that time, women had no rights. They couldn't own property. As a matter of fact, they were considered property. Now understand, as I'm telling you this story, I'm telling you what the culture was during that time because that's what the Bible describes, that culture during that time. No, no way am I saying that that's, should, it should be that way now. And nor is the Bible saying that it should be that way now. I'm just simply telling you how it was. All right? I don't want anybody saying, but Pastor Corey said that you should be property. Uh-uh. So when Naomi's husband died and, and her two sons died, those three women had nothing. They had legal rights to nothing. They didn't have a home. They didn't have money. They had nothing. They were left without anything. Where was God in this? Where was God when my mom had cancer? Where was God when Naomi's husband died, when Naomi's two sons died? Where was God? At the funeral, I prepared myself for anyone who came up to me before, during, or after the funeral and said, oh, God went into the garden and he found the most beautiful flower. And it was your mother, and she, he plucked it and took it to heaven. Bop. <laughs> or God needed another angel, 
And so he took the most beautiful. Your mother, Bob, that is a lie. Because what you just told me is that God gave my mom cancer and caused her to die. What you told me was that Naomi's husband and two sons, God caused them to die. And that isn't true. That is false. God doesn't do that. God is not into taking from standing in heaven and throwing lightning bolts down at people who he thinks are doing wrong. No, see, that's Zeus. That is Zeus from Greek mythology. And mythology would be your clue there. Zeus is not real. But we take that idea and we mix it in with our own theology in order to make sense of death. But the truth is, God does not cause this. You know what causes this? Do you know what causes this? I'll tell you what causes this. Brandon and I have a relationship. We're friends. I choose to be with him, and he chooses to be with me. And we continue to grow and understand each other. We do things together, and that continues to grow because we choose to do that. That continues to grow. If I or Brandon were pre-programmed, pre-programmed to be friends, we didn't choose to, but we had to. Is it really friendship? No, it is not. It is just us fulfilling a program, us fulfilling something that was supposed to be. But because we have choice, because we choose to be friends or not be friends, because we have that choice, it is a real, living, breathing relationship. Understand this, God's role in our world and in our lives is this. He has given you the opportunity to choose him. Every single one of you. He gives you the opportunity, the ability to choose him. But this choice thing is a two-way street. Not only do you have the opportunity to choose him, but understand this and understand this first, that he chose you. Each and every person in this room is chosen by him. He loves each and every one of you. He chooses you and wants you to choose him. If he were to force that on you, you are pre-programmed to love him, then that is no relationship at all. But you have the opportunity to choose. But we as human beings, we often choose not so great. And it is those times when we do not choose God and we choose something else, something not so great, something really bad, that bad things happen in this world. That's why my mom got cancer. Because we have choice. That's why Naomi's husband and two sons died. Because we have choice. It was never meant to be this way. We were supposed to always choose God. We were never supposed to die. But somewhere along the way, somebody chose Adam and Eve chose differently. And death was introduced. And now we all taste it. Sometimes daily. But there is hope. I want to tell you the hope for, for Naomi and for Ruth and Orpah. I want to tell you the hope, but then these guys wouldn't have anything to preach about the rest of the series. <laughs> so I can't give you that. But I can, I can say, keep coming back. Because there's a wonderful hope coming in the story of Ruth. 
I can share with you the hope that came from my mom and me. My brother and I, who hadn't had a relationship in years, because when I was a zealous Christian, I beat him up a bit. And he hadn't, he hadn't talked to me in decades. Now we text almost every day. We even went on a Star Trek cruise together. <laughs> that has completely changed. And because of mom's condition and the rarity of it, and all the study that they have put into her cancer, and all the testing that they've done on it, it has given valuable, invaluable information for technologies that will help other people who get this extremely rare brain cancer and give them a chance to live longer than three years and maybe even someday defeat it. Amen? You see, here's the deal. In Romans 8.28, the author of Romans says, We all know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. So God does not cause the death of my mom, does not cause the death of Naomi's husband and sons, but he promises, he promises, he promises to make something good come of it. That is a promise. One that you can hold on to, that God promised he doesn't cause the junk, but he will bring something good of it for those who believe in him. Come in. <laughs> no, I lost it. All right. Here's what I want you to know. All right. Here, here's, what, here's what I want you to know. That if you are in grief right now, for whatever, if it's a death of someone or something changed, it doesn't matter. If you're in grief right now, it's okay. It is perfectly okay. Don't let anybody else tell you that it's not. There, my mom died almost four years ago, and sometimes I still have to pull the car over and cry. It's okay. That's natural. That's human. It's all right. But know this. That through the death, the crucifixion of his son, he knows exactly what it's like to lose someone. And though he didn't cause the loss of your family or friends, whoever, he is there comforting you. He is there with you, giving you all of the love and grace and peace that you need. Thirdly, he promises to make something good come of that. Count on it. Look for it. It is the hope, it is the beacon that we can look to in our loss, and our grief. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are your broken children who interact with grieving every day. Be the salve to our wounded hearts. Fill us with your peace. Bring wholeness, healing, and a hope to look out for the good things that you're going to do. We ask this in your name. Thank you.